You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. And today we begin a brand new study, a brand new series titled, The Questions That Jesus Asked. Uh, Really looking forward to this series with you. I have enjoyed my meditations on the scriptures on this subject. And I want to start with something kind of fun. Uh, We're going to do a little game show here. Uh, How many questions did Jesus ask? You get four choices, you got to pick one. Uh, how many of you would say uh, Jesus asked seven questions, uh, 70 questions, 146 questions, 588 questions? Uh, you got to pick one. Uh, let's see, what's the popular vote for this service? How many of you say he, picks, uh, he did seven questions? Okay, a couple of you. How many say he did 70 questions? All right, a few more of you. How many would say he did 146 questions in the Gospels? All right, that's a bunch of you. How many of you would say he asked 588 questions? All right, that's a bunch of you too. The answer is 588. (laughs) I see some wives like, yeah, hitting their husband, yeah. Uh, 588 questions in the Gospels. Now, some of them are the same question recorded, uh, uh, but there are 588 questions that Jesus asked in the Gospels. If you take out the duplicates, there are over 300 questions that Jesus asked. Uh, That's a lot of questions. Uh, And we want to look at this. Why did Jesus ask so many questions, man? That's a boatload of questions. Well, one reason is, is because Jesus is a really good listener, And in order to be a good listener, you have to ask good questions. Good listeners ask a lot of questions, and Jesus did. Uh, We want to learn from this. We want to learn from Jesus as we go through this series. It would be wise for us to emulate some of these things and to start being a good listener by asking questions. Uh, We often think that good listening means sitting there silently and nodding our heads, giving a little, hmm, hmm. And we think that's good listening, having eye contact, and then maybe paraphrasing at the end what you heard the other person say. Oh, well, those are some good tools for sure, right? That's a good place to start. But really good listening, if you want to make somebody really feel heard, ask them questions about what they're telling you. Ask them questions to better understand what's going on in their heart and in their mind. Someone could be talking to you and say, hey, my, bro, my brother didn't invite me to, my, the, to the birthday party. And man, I'm kind of hurt by it. You can go, oh man, what a crummy brother. And, and, and we think we listened, but far better to ask some meaningful questions that would really show that you're hearing and, and understanding what they're going through. Well, how did that make you feel? Well, what's behind all that? Like, why do you think that was? And, and some good questions, right? Um, so Jesus asked a lot of questions. And it's, one reason is because he's a good listener. Uh, the second reason uh, is because Jesus cares about people. Uh, Jesus, uh, he asks good questions to show that he values and cares about the people he was talking to. And so he would ask a lot of questions. Uh, I think we've all had conversations with people and uh, we open our heart. We kind of share what's going on. Hey, I got this issue with my brother. And they say, oh, well, they interrupt us. They say, oh, well, yeah, well, you know what happened to me and my brother? And, you know, well, one time my brother and, and they just start going off on their own stuff, right? And how do you feel? Uh, do you feel cared for when that happens? No, we don't feel cared for. And sometimes we wonder, like, uh, are you even hearing? Uh, like, do you even care, right? Like, uh, uh, if you want to show that you really care, ask questions about what someone is telling you. 
Uh, Jesus cares about people and he loves us well. And so he asked a lot of questions and we would be wise to follow him in that. Uh, the first great commandment, you'll remember, what's the first great commandment? Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Important order, by the way, uh, with your heart first, man. And then, and then with your mind, uh, learn his ways, understand who he is, l watch him carefully. And then with your strength, then you'll be able to do the things he did. The second great commandment is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So if we take this to heart, we're going to learn how Jesus loved. We're going to learn how he cared about people. And we're going to ask a lot of questions like he did. How much better could we care for others if we asked them more questions? If we really tried to understand what was going on in their heart, how much better could we love others? Even our most significant others, the ones that we have an intimate relationship, a spouse, a child, a best friend. Uh, think about how much we could grow in our ability to care about them if we ask more questions. Uh, really wise to learn from Jesus in this. The third reason that Jesus asked a lot of questions is because Jesus was always building up others. Jesus was a builder of men. And by men, I mean humans. Everywhere he went, he was building people. Uh, and, and I think we know this, right? Like, Jesus did not ask questions for his own benefit, right? Uh, why? Because he already knew. He's God, right? He knew everything. Jesus doesn't ask questions for his own benefit. Jesus asks questions for our benefit. He knows our heart. And so he, when he asks questions, it's wise for us to really look at these questions closely and to go, wow, why is Jesus asking me that? We see all through the Bible, God has been asking man questions. Way back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned against God. And God came with a question where are you? Why are you hiding? Right? Uh, did he not know? Oh, he knew. He was asking for our benefit, for our learning. Cain and Abel. Why are you angry, Cain? Why has your countenance fallen? Why are you so torqued? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Why was he asking these questions? Oh, he was trying to build Cain and to keep him from running down the, po the course of being a murderer. Uh, and so it's important. Cain didn't listen to the questions God asked him very well. God asks a lot of questions. But we have to ponder them. And we have to meditate on them and listen to them. And so today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to be looking at this. That's what this series is all about. We're going to be taking a deep dive looking at the questions Jesus asked. And uh, you may ask, uh, well, hey, what's the big deal with uh, Jesus' questions? Why are you doing a whole series on Jesus' questions? Uh, well, it is a big deal because these are not merely the questions of a famous person. Uh, these are not merely the questions of a really intelligent person. Uh, those things alone, if somebody was, had world fame and also was very intelligent, well, you might want to study their questions, man. That'd be a good thing to do. But Jesus, all the more, we are looking at Jesus' questions not merely because he was famous or a powerful man or wise or intelligent. We are looking at the questions that Jesus asked because he is God. And it would be really wise, man, the questions that he would ask as God, these are the most important questions that could ever be asked. And so in this series, we're going to break them down and look at them, and uh, we want to uh, really take them to heart, and uh, we'll do so over the next, next few weeks. I want to start by, uh, by entering in, before we look at the questions Jesus asked, I want to start by, let's looking at the asker of the questions. Who is this person asking these questions? Who is Jesus? And for that, find your way to Colossians chapter 1, and let's start our study there. Colossians chapter 1. Did you, did you mark your spot? 
Let me pray as you find your way to Colossians chapter 1. Find your way to verse 13. Jesus, we come before you right now, Lord, very excited to enter into this series of the questions that you asked. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to meditate on them and to take them to heart. That we might see these questions you asked in a brand new light with brand new depth as you speak to us personally and individually from your word. Lord, right now as we open your word, we pray that you would bless us with your Holy Spirit to understand your heart and your mind, that we might love you properly. For we pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Chapter 1, verse 13, are you there? Are you there? Yes. He, that is Jesus, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. What an amazing passage. Jesus has delivered us from the power of darkness, or in other words, from the domain of evil. I am amazed at how evil the world is. And right now, it seems like it's increasing all the more. How many of you saw on these university campuses these posters being held up at these Palestinian protests, gas the Jews. Can you imagine making a sign that says gas the Jews? Hitler should have finished what he started, one sign said. How could that possibly be? I never thought in my lifetime I would see someone championing Nazi Germany. And yet here it is at our hand. And look what he says. Jesus has delivered us from this power of darkness, from this domain of evil, where we are blind to truth, where we are blind to what is right, where we think we're actually doing good when we're doing evil. He's delivered us from that, and he's conveyed us, great word, transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of love. It is a kingdom of selflessness. It is a kingdom of service. Jesus came to serve us and to save us. And he has transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Verse 14, in whom, that's in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, through his death on the cross, the forgiveness of sins. Amazing. Uh, all our sin washed by his work on the cross. Verse 15, he, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. What a powerful statement. Let me hear you read that out loud. These are powerful words. He is the image of the invisible God. Wow. God is a spirit. We cannot see God tangibly uh, in, a, in a body because God is a spirit. But God became a man, and he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. That firstborn is the Greek word prototokos, and it means the firstborn of the resurrection. It does not mean he was the first cre creation made. No, 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 no. He is the firstborn of the resurrection. We'll see that more. He'll bring it out again in just a moment. He is the first one to resurrect from the dead is what that is saying. Verse 16. For by him all things were created. Circle all things. You're going to find out he repeats this word numerous times. By him, by Jesus, all things were created. Things that are in heaven. Things that are on earth. Things that are visible, things that are invisible. Rather, thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, all things, there it is again, were created through him and were created for him. Principalities and powers, that means spiritual things. That means spiritual kingdoms. That means that even Satan was created by Jesus and created for Jesus. He is so sovereign that even Satan is a servant of God. That's a different study, but this verse makes that clear. Verse 17, he, that's Jesus, is before all things, and in him 
all things consist. I would encourage you to circle every all thing there so you can really see what he's telling us. Verse 18, he is the head or the authority of the body, the church. Uh, Jesus is the king of the church. He is the, the, the authority of the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead. There it is again, the first one to resurrect from the dead. We are going to follow him in that so that in all things he may have preeminence. He is preeminent over all things. He has dominion over all things. Verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him, that is in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. What does that mean? It pleased the Father that in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. All the fullness of what? Well, listen to me on this. All the fullness of the Trinity should dwell in him. The fullness of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Trinity should dwell in him. Jump over to chapter 2, verse 9, and you'll see he unpacks this more. Uh, I'll prove what I just said to you. Verse 9. For in him, that is in Christ, at least it was the Bible. Uh, for in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Oh my goodness. And you are complete in him, in Christ, who is the head, the authority of all principality and power. Wow. Uh, amazing statement. Let's go back to verse 9. It pleased, 19, it pleased the Father, chapter 1, verse 19, it pleased the Father that in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit should dwell in him and by him to reconcile, there it is again, all things to himself. Reconcile means to be restored to friendship, to reconcile all things to himself by him, that is by Christ, by himself alone, rather things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through his sacrificial death where he atoned for our sins. Verse 21, and you who were once alienated from God, who were once enemies from God in your mind and by your wicked works, yet now he has reconciled you to God. Amazing. And he did that in the body of his flesh through death to present you. I want you to circle four things here in verse 22 to present you. The first one is what? Holy. Oh my goodness. To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Uh, think about this. Jesus didn't die only to forgive you of your sin. Jesus died to make you holy. That is remarkable to ponder. You can be forgiven, and being forgiven is amazing. I would have settled for that in a heartbeat, right? Because I have so much sin in my life. And Jesus, to think that you would forgive me of your sin, my sin. His mercies are new morning by morning. Every day, he's willing to forgive me of my sin. I marvel at his grace. But here we learn something. This is more than being forgiven. If I had committed a crime and I was at the court and uh, the case was thrown out and you're forgiven, uh, you're not going to have to do the, the, the punishment. Uh, well, well, that's great news. I don't have to go to jail. But I'm still viewed as a criminal because I still, yeah, everybody knows O.J. Simpson did it. He may have got acquitted, but he did it, right? I mean, this is more than being forgiven. This is being made holy. This is justification. This is me being made just as if we never sinned. Amazing. Uh, amazing to consider. He did this in the body of his flesh, verse 22, through death on the cross. He took the punishment of our sin. Why did he do it? To present you holy and to present you blameless and to present you above reproach in his sight. Wow, that is the gospel, man. And I don't care where you are this morning. I don't care how bad you sinned. If you bring your life before Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me. 
I repent of my sins. I believe you love me that much that you died on the cross for me. I need to be saved. I need to be made right. It is his delight to do so. Verse 23. If you continue in the faith, grounded, steadfast, on a firm foundation, not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you've heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, would say, became a minister. Yeah, the reason I became a a minister, Paul would say, is because I am in awe of Jesus and his ability to save sinners and to make them holy and righteous and to bring them as perfect before a throne of grace. And for this reason, Paul would say, I've given my life to Jesus. Uh, Amazing. Uh, This is the one who is asking the questions. And as we enter this series, the questions Jesus asked, I wanted to start by reminding us all who Jesus is. He is the fullness of the Godhead who dwelt among us. Wow. Powerful. Powerful. So let's jump in now to our series and let's look at the questions Jesus asked. Out of the 588, which one do we start with? Well, I chose to start with this one. Uh, I think it's a good one to start with. Here it is. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? Uh, Matthew 7, 3, there it is. Uh, Good question. Uh, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and you don't see the honking telephone pole in your own eye? Well, that's a good question. And you would say, well, that's hyperbole. And I would say, not much. It's pretty darn accurate. Uh, We are prone, are we not, to minimize our own sins and to magnify others' sins. Why is it we're always trying to fix our spouse instead of trying to fix ourselves? Interesting. Why do we do that? Uh, Well, here... I want you to see, Jesus asked this question, why do you look at the speck in your own eye, I mean in your neighbor's eye, and not the plank in your own eye? Jesus asked that question because we need to know this about ourselves. This is who you are. This is who I am apart from Jesus. And can I tell you something? He wants it fixed. This is not a good quality trait. We are so good at flagging the sins of others and talking about them with everybody. Can you believe what so-and-so did? Oh, I know. He just thinks he's so amazing. And yeah, and you know what else they did? They did this and this and this. And Well, don't tell anybody, but also this, 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 this. Why do we do that? What a crazy thing. Apart from Jesus... We actually like pointing out other people's sins and talking all about them. And this is universal, which is why we start this series with this question. Jesus wants us to know this about ourselves. And I have a question for you then. Why do we like this so much? Why do we like pointing out other people's sins? Why do we like pointing out other people's faults? And why do we like doing it instead of looking at our own? I would like to ask you, and I'd like to hear your answers, why do we do this? Makes us feel good. Makes us feel good. Uh, What else? What's that? Diminishes my guilt. Great answers. What else? Pride. Okay, good. Anything else? Don't want to face our own Great answers, man. Really good stuff. This is human nature, and it is sinful. And Jesus says, I want you to know this about yourself because I'd like to fix this in you. I'd like to change this in you. Do you know why we do it? It's because we're insecure. And talking about other people's sins subconsciously makes us feel better about ourselves. Crazy, crazy. 
we looked at something, we looked at what Jesus wants to do for us in Colossians. Jesus went to the cross for us to cleanse us and to present us, what? Holy and blameless. I want you to know we have a huge need for that. In the world, our biggest need is justification. Every time you do something wrong, do you know what you try to do? You try to justify yourself. So if you're late to a meeting, you'll get there and you'll say, traffic was really bad. It may have been, but the fact that you woke up an hour late was the real reason. And we don't, we want to justify ourselves. And we always want to justify ourselves. And here's what Jesus is saying. Don't justify yourself by looking at the plank, excuse me, by looking at the speck in your brother's eye. Uh, don't do that. I want you to consider something. Uh, uh, how common is this that we talk about other people's faults? And we look at the speck in there, pretty darn common. Uh, I would present to you, it's the biggest religion in the world. So I never, I never thought of it as a, it's a religion. You're trying to justify yourself. And it does not work. It's a bad religion. It's a false religion. It's a false gospel. You're doing this work, hoping that you feel better about yourself. But let me ask you, have you ever left a conversation with someone else who was talking about someone else and said, they are really wise. I really admire them. Uh, they are a just individual. Never, never. As a matter of fact, it diminishes us. And so Jesus says, don't do it. And you say, hey, what's the big deal? What's wrong with doing this? Everyone does it. Is it really that big of a deal to talk about others, to look at the speck in their eye? Well, Jesus says it is. Uh, contrary to what you might think, Jesus says it's a pretty big deal to walk around with a honking plank in your eye. It's a pretty big deal. Uh, don't, don't do it, right? It's a big deal to Jesus. And you say, well, why is it such a big deal? Well, here's why. It hinders our personal growth. And Jesus wants you to grow. Jesus wants to make you into something way more than you could ever be without him. Jesus wants to build you into something profound uh, where you have wisdom and discernment and, and amazing character and a, a, an insight into things that others don't have. This is the work he wants to do in you. But we have to start at a place where we can see things that are wrong in our lives so that we can grow. Before we can grow, we must first be cognizant of our weak areas. And I want you to know, a good, honest look at the plank in your eye is a big first step to growing. And so Jesus would ask a profound question. Why are you so focused on the speck in your brother's eye instead of looking at the plank in your own? Great question, Jesus. In addition to Jesus wanting us to grow, which is one reason why we have to look at the plank in our eye. Secondly, looking at the speck in our brother's eye and forgetting the plank in our eye radically hinders our relationship with Jesus. Did you know that? You say, how so? Well, when we go around judging others for their faults instead of looking at our own, we will not see our need for a savior. We will not see our need for God's healing. Uh, uh, when we are aware of our sin, we will very much see our need for Jesus' healing. Uh, I wake up in the morning and I will typically think about all my sins of the day before. And I will start my day that way. I'll say, Lord, yesterday, man, I did this. And I know I've told you a million times I was going to try not to do that anymore. Man, I did it again. Lord, thank you for forgiving me. I'm amazed that your mercies are new morning by morning. Lord, I know I've talked to you about this a hundred times already. And here I am talking to you about it again. I'm in awe that you are so gracious and so merciful. 
and I bring him my sin from the day before. And man, you know what? It gives me a major appreciation for Jesus in the morning. And I wake up with just a spring in my step going, Lord, you're amazing. Having a relationship with you is amazing. I'm cleansed. I'm forgiven. Uh, Lord, I want to go serve you today. Now, when I meet with someone uh, uh, and they tell me, hey, uh, uh, counseling appointment. And, hey, I need to talk with you. I've got, a, I've got an addiction. You do? Yeah, I've got a shopping addiction. I'm revving up all my credit cards. It's insane. Uh, I don't sit there and go, what is wrong with you? How could you possibly be so foolish? Don't you see your credit card bills are high? Why would you go buy more? What, what are you, stupid? That, how much would that help somebody? None. And I don't have a critical spirit. You know why? Because I woke up in the morning going, Lord, I'm such a mess. And the things that I did yesterday, I don't want to do those. Why do I, Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Now when I stand before someone, I don't have a shopping problem, but man, I can relate because I got a million other problems. And I grow. I become more effective. I become more useful. I become more dependent upon Jesus. Uh, this is what Jesus is teaching us, and it's so important. I want you to know something. If you had a splinter in your eye right now, even if it was really tiny, you would do everything you could to cleanse it. You would be going like this, and you'd be getting a tissue, and if that didn't work, you'd be saying, drop everything. I'm going to the bathroom. I'm going to wash it out. Why? Because having a splinter in your eye is a bad thing. And yet a lot of us are sitting here with a honking plank in our eye. We're not even aware of it, and we're going around, walking around with a plank in our eye, and we're chopping off heads. Oh, sorry, Russ, didn't mean to chop off your head. Everywhere I turn, I'm chopping off heads with my critical spirit because I got a plank in my eye and I'm not even looking at it. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Uh, Jesus wants to heal us. Jesus wants to cleanse us. But we first have to be aware of our sins and judging others to prevent us from seeing our own need for Jesus is a false gospel, man. It is not wise. Uh, let's look at this passage in context. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Are you there? Chapter 7, verse 1, Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use to judge others, it will be measured back to you. Let's pause there for a second. Judge not, lest you be judged. By who? Who's Jesus talking about? By who? By God? How many of you think, judge not, lest you be judged strictly by God? How many of you think it's God? Well, a few of you said it. Now nobody's raising their hand. <laughs> I didn't like the way you said it, apparently. Uh, how many of you think it's by others? Uh, how many of you aren't voting? Uh, uh, <laughs> judge not, lest you be judged. By who? Well, in the Bible, when the agent of an action is silent in Scripture, that agent is, is typically God. Judge not, lest you be judged by God. Wow, how so? Well, here's how so. If you walk around focusing on everybody else's sin so that you can justify yourself, do you know what's going to happen? That means that you're not under the blood of Jesus Christ. And you're going to face a very strict judgment. Furthermore, if you are judgmental to others, they're going to be more judgmental to you. Uh, if you're a real critical spirit to everybody else, they're going to be a critical spirit to you. So both are true, uh, but the, uh, the real intent here is... is is mainly God. Verse 3, here's, our, here's our, our verse. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Answer, because it feels good to do that. I'd much rather look at your problem than mine, right? Uh, how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. 
you hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Interesting, interesting. Um, it's interesting, uh, a little sidebar here. It is also interesting that unbelievers love this verse, don't they? Don't judge, man. Don't judge. Uh, they have this verse memorized. It's the only verse they have in the Bible memorized. Uh, hey, Jesus said, don't judge. Uh, here's the question for you. Are they correct? Some saying yes and some saying no. Are they correct? I want you to know they are not correct. Uh, we are to judge sinful behavior as wrong. We are. We are to judge stealing from a store as wrong. We are to judge shaking a baby as wrong. We are to judge sexualizing elementary school children as wrong. We are to judge, right? Uh, Jesus isn't saying, don't go discerning good and evil. No, we should discern good and evil. It is important that we do. We must discern between right and wrong, between good and evil. Any good parent knows this. If you're a parent that isn't saying, hey, don't do that, that's not good behavior, and do this, that is good behavior. If you don't do that, you're not a good, you're not a good parent. You're not loving your children if you don't discern good and evil and help them walk in the right path. So that's not what Jesus is talking about. Furthermore, let me prove it more. Look at verse 15 in the same chapter, chapter 7, verse 15. Look what Jesus says. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Well, how are you going to know if they're a false prophet? You have to do what? You have to judge. I don't want any of you ever listening to me. I want you judging is what he is saying biblical. And the moment that what I say isn't biblical, don't come to this church anymore. Unless JC's preaching. <laughs> we definitely have to judge. Look what he says. You will, verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes? You ever got a grape from a tumbleweed? Never. I, I don't care how many times you try looking for Peaches on a tumbleweed, you'll never get them. Uh, peaches grow on, pigs, uh, on peach trees. Verse 17, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Pretty important verse. Uh, we are to judge between right and wrong. Uh, that is imperative. Go back to verse 6, chapter 7, verse 6. Look what Jesus says right after this teaching. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Don't give advice to someone. Don't give godly advice to someone who doesn't want it, who is only going to stomp it and then attack you. Well, in order to know who that is, you have to do something. What do you have to do? You have to discern. You have to figure out what is wise and what is good. So uh, all that to say, we are to judge with a righteous judgment. Jesus made that very clear. We are to judge what is right and what is wrong. That is an important part of being a follower of Jesus. That is an important part of being a human. Uh, Jesus said it very clear. John 7, look at this on your screens. Let me hear you read this. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with a righteous judgment. What is that? Uh, don't judge according to appearance. Oh, wow, they're beautiful. 
Oh, wow, they're rich. Oh, wow, they own several companies. Oh, wow, they have a swimming pool and a private jet. Uh, I like them. No, you're judging according to what? Appearance. He says, don't do that, but do judge with righteous judgment. Finding out uh, the character and what they're doing, what's right and wrong. Uh, when Jesus says, judge not, he's not saying, quit discerning good and evil. That's a must. What Jesus is teaching us is not to have a self-righteous, judgmental, critical spirit that points out the faults in others and is blind to our own sins. That's what Jesus is teaching us. Big difference. When we properly see our own sins as vile, we will no longer be critical of others. When we wake up in the morning and we, or we go to bed at night and we confess our sins to the Lord of the day, we will not be critical of others. When we come to Jesus and say, Lord, I need you to cleanse me. I have a plank in my eye, Lord. Please help me remove this big honking plank in my eye. Our heart will be gentle and tender to others who struggle with sin. And this is the work he wants to do on our life. It's important that we hold on to it. I have a question for you. How many times did that happen for you this week? How many times did you come to Jesus and say, Lord, I've got a big honking plank in my eye. I need forgiveness. If it did not happen numerous times this week, I want you to know the other side did happen. You walked around judging other people's sins. You walked around trying to ju justify yourself because I guarantee you we have a desperate need to be justified. It's the biggest religion in the world. And if you're not getting it from Jesus, you will be critical of others. May, you be, may we be wise. Uh, may we be wise. When we properly see our sin, we will come to Jesus for cleansing. And when we come to Jesus for cleansing, he will forgive us by his blood, by his work on the cross. And then when we see others who sin, we will have tremendous comp compassion. And then we will be a builder of men, a builder of humans, just like Jesus was, which is what he wants us to do, which is what he's calling us to be. Uh, Galatians makes that very clear. This is a, you probably have this verse memorized. I'm sure you do. That's a great verse. Galatians 6.1. Uh, let me hear you read this. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Considering yourself, excuse me, in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Uh, we can only do this if we're honest with Jesus about the plank in our eye. Then we'll be able to help our brother with a speck in his eye, and we'll do it in a spirit of gentleness. Uh, a great way for us to be, uh, it's what Jesus wants to do in our life. So here's the question. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? And do not consider the plank that is in your own eye. Well, it's because I want to be justified. Well, then come to Jesus, the justifier of all sin. Great first question, huh? Really good. May we take it to heart. Let's look at the next question. Uh, this next question is so powerful. Jesus asking, he would say, who do you say that I am? By far and away, the most important question that Jesus ever asked. Jesus asked this question to the disciples. And I want you to know, Jesus asked this question to every man who has ever lived. He has asked you this question numerous times. And you have answered. You have answered in your behavior, in your actions, in your beliefs. This is the most important question in the universe. And our answer to this question changes everything. It changes the way we perceive the universe. It changes the way we live our life. Uh, 
It changes the way we spend our money. It changes the way we spend our time. It changes the way we go about our day. Am I building my kingdom or am I building Jesus' kingdom? It changes everything. Moreover, it changes our eternal destiny. Not just the days of our life. Here are these some 70, 80, 90 years if you're lucky. But it changes our eternal destiny forever. And so we must get this question right. It's an important question. Our eternity is at stake. The most common answer to this question, who do you say that I am? The most popular question, excuse me, the most common answer, the most popular answer is that you are a good teacher. You are a good teacher. And by giving that answer, you are sending yourself straight to hell. There was a man who was trying to justify himself in the Bible, the rich young ruler. He was a good man. He was young, he was hip, he was popular, very wealthy. And he came to Jesus asking a question. The question he asked, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And I find the question very interesting because it reveals that he knew he wasn't in the kingdom of heaven. He knew that even though he was trying to be a good person, there's something lacking, man. I'm in trouble. I'm not right, and I know it. What must I do? And he came to Jesus, and he said, Good teacher, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus' answer was very curious. He answered with a question, of course. And the question he asked, Why do you call me good? What's the problem? Uh, well, Jesus' statement, why do you call me good? There is none good but God. Good teacher, no, I am not a good teacher. The problem is the rich young ruler came to Jesus thinking he was a good teacher and Jesus clearly wanted to correct him and say, hey, listen, there is no one good but God. You've got this wrong. I am not a good teacher. If you think I'm good, it's because I am God. And Jesus was bringing this man back to the same question that Jesus asked all men, who do you say that I am? A good teacher is the most common answer, and it will send you straight to hell. You will die in your sins, unforgiven. Muslims would answer, well, Jesus was a good prophet. A really good prophet. Not as good as Muhammad, but he was a good prophet. Jesus was more than a good prophet. Jesus was the creator of all prophets. Big difference. And if you answer Jesus was a good prophet, you will die in your sins and you will go to hell. The Mormons will answer this question that Jesus was the spirit brother of Lucifer. And they will die in their sins and they will go to hell. The Jehovah's Witness will say that Jesus was Michael the, the Archangel, uh, excuse me, Gabriel the Archangel, no, Michael or Gabriel? Uh, Michael. Michael the Archangel, the, the, the highest created being ever. Jesus was Michael the, Arch, uh, the Archangel. Um, crazy, crazy. If you think Jesus was Michael the Archangel, Jesus was the creator of Michael the Archangel. And if you think he was that, you will die in your sins and you will go to hell. The Bible is crystal clear that Jesus is God. John 10.10, Jesus clearly said, I and the Father are one, one and the same. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. All through the Bible, this is taught over and over again. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. 
and that light shone in the darkness, and darkness could not comprehend it. There was a man that was sent from God to bear witness of that light. His name was John, John the Baptist. He was not that light, but came to be a witness of that light. And on and on it goes. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of God. All through the Bible, it teaches us that Jesus is God. And who do you say that I am is the most important question we could ever answer. And if we get it wrong, our eternity is at stake. I know we already read Colossians 1. We started there, but I want to look at it on your screens again. Colossians 1.15. Let me hear you read this. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. That's pretty clear. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, the first one to resurrect in a resurrected body. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and all things were created for him. He is before all things and in him all things exist. Uh, Jesus is God, crystal clear in scripture. But what amazes me is that he comes to us and says, who do you say that I am? Because he does not force us to obey him as God. Instead, he invites us in into a meaningful relationship of love. Who do you say that I am? Do you realize that I am God who left heaven and came to earth as a man because I love you and I want to forgive you of your sin and I want to make you righteous? Do you understand that kind of love? Who do you say that I am? And it is only understanding that amazing love for us that is the only thing that will bring us in into a relationship with him. It's important we get this right. He does not force us to worship him. He does not force us to obey him. He wants our heart. Uh, and Jesus asked this question to every person, to you and me. Uh, it's important we get it right, man. Peter got it right. Let's look at this text in context. Go to Matthew 16. Just a few pages to your right. Matthew 16, we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Are you there? When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, beautiful area, by the way, uh, flowing water coming out of a cave. Uh, I wanted to take you there last week and... Uh, Something happened. Um, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, I the son of man, am? So they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Uh, he had been beheaded already. They thought that Jesus was John the Baptist uh, resurrected. Some say you're Elijah resurrected. So others say you're Jeremiah resurrected. Others say you're one of the prophets resurrected. Okay, uh, good answer. Uh, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. The Christ means the anointed one. It means the Messiah, the son of the living God. You have to have both of those in there. You are the Christ, the Messiah, fully man, and you are also the son of the living God, fully God. 100% man, 100% God in one person, uh, divine and human, Jesus is both. And look what Jesus says to that. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Do you understand what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, Peter, way to go. You're learning how to be in tune with the Spirit of God. You're learning how to hear from God. You're learning how to not see with just your human eye, but to see the, uh, the truth of, of God's kingdom. Uh, this is God's work in you, Peter. Uh, and look at verse 18, is astonishing. Uh, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates 
of Hades shall not prevail against it. Uh, you are Peter. You are Petros. And on this Petra, I will build my church. Uh, there are those who think that Peter is sitting at the pearly gates based on this passage. Uh, that he is sitting at the pearly gates and he is the one who decides who comes into heaven and who doesn't go into heaven. That's why you hear all those jokes that you die and you go to before Peter at the pearly gate and then some joke, right? Uh, they actually think this. Uh, I want you to know this is not the case. Uh, here's what Jesus is saying. Simon, I'm changing your name to the rock. Petros. Petros means a small stone. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. What rock? Petra? Petra means not a little stone. Petra means a foundation stone. A big, huge chunk of rock in the earth. The foundation of all things. Uh, Petra is in the feminine uh, tense, feminine, so it couldn't be a, a feminine pronoun for Peter. Peter can't be the Petra. Uh, that would be today's generation. Uh, uh, so what is this Petra? Well, this Petra, this rock, this foundation stone is what Peter said. You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are the, the anointed one, the human, and you are also the son of God. You're God in the flesh. That is the Petra of salvation. That is the Petra of the kingdom. That is the foundation of all things. And Jesus says, on that I will build my church. And on that the gates of hell will not prevail. And on that I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, uh, the authority of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Uh, and you say, what does that mean? Jesus is saying, Peter, listen, I give you the authority that when you... Build on that foundation when you preach the gospel and you tell people that you can come to Jesus Christ who was God in the flesh who became a man and went to a cross so that your sins could be forgiven and you tell them that by believing in him that God so loved you that much that he gave his only son for that purpose that you're going to have eternal life and you tell them their sins are forgiven then in heaven their sins are forgiven. And if they don't receive that and you tell them, you're going to go to hell, then in heaven, when I judge, they will go to hell. That which you bind will be bound and that which you loose will be loosed. Jesus gives us the authority to participate with him in the building of the kingdom. And I want you to know that authority is not given just to Peter. That authority is given to all disciples. When I stand before you proclaiming the truths of God's word and I say, come to Jesus, you can be saved, you can be sure that is with the authority of Jesus Christ himself. And it is for sure. And when I tell you, if you don't come to Christ, you are going to hell for eternity. That is with the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave all the disciples that authority. John 20 shows this. Take a look. Let me hear you read. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained based on my word, right? Based on that Petra. And so uh, important that we see, important that we know this is God's word for us. This is God's way for us. Uh, <clears throat> if you are a disciple of Jesus, this promise is yours and you are to be a builder of the kingdom, sharing the good news of Jesus with others, making disciples and saving them from the depths of hell so they might come into eternal life with Jesus. So here's the question, who do you say that I am? Because Jesus is asking that of all people. He's asking it of you, he's asking it of me, and he's asking it of your neighbor. And when we answer it correctly, amazing things, Jesus not only saves us, not only forgives us of all of our sins, but then invites us to partner with him in ministry to the praise and glory of God. Uh, amazing. Transforming lives and building his kingdom. Which leads us to our last question, and then we'll take communion. The last question we're going to look at today from Jesus is, what do you want me to do for you? Great question. Can Jesus, imagine Jesus coming to you and saying, what do you want me to do for you? What a question. 
Uh, we get this question from uh, Jesus' talk with blind Bartimaeus. Uh, flip over to Mark 10, and like I said, we'll finish up here and then partake communion together. Mark 10, we're going to pick it up in verse 46. <clears throat> Are you there? Mark 10, 46. Now, when they came to Jericho, that's Jesus and the disciples and all that were following Jesus. When they came to Jericho, uh, as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You might want to underline those words, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, because it tells a lot about blind Bartimaeus. It tells us that he wasn't so blind after all. He knew that Jesus was the son of David, which means he knew that he was the Messiah, the one who was going to rule and reign for eternity on the throne of David. He also knew that he was merciful, have mercy on me. He knew a lot about Jesus. Verse 48, then many warned him, be quiet, you beggar. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still, stopped the whole procession. And he commanded him, that's Bartimaeus, to be called. And so they called the blind man, your lucky day, my friend. Uh, be of good cheer, rise, he, that's Jesus, is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and he came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? What an interesting question. Jesus, he's a blind guy. Isn't it obvious? Don't you know? Why then is Jesus asking, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't it obvious? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Radical. Can you imagine seeing this? Blind man calling out, everyone despising him, Jesus calling him. What do you want me to do for you? Oh, I want to see, Lord. You can see. Wow. Immediately a sight. Just like amazing. But again, I ask the question, why would Jesus ask a blind man? Isn't it obvious? And Jesus didn't just ask this to the blind man. He asked multiple people this same question. What do you want me to do for you? And I would present to you, he is asking you this question also. Why would Jesus ask a blind man that question? Well, could it be that Jesus was just hoping that someone would understand who Jesus really was? And that they would ask for something big, something grand, something eternal, something kingdom-minded? What if the blind man would have said, Oh Lord, give me the ability to know your mind and to know your heart, God. Give me the wisdom and the discernment to be able to really see as things really are. Give me a heart to love your people like you love your people. And give me the ability, Lord, to speak words with divine inspiration. Wisdom, uh, just full of wisdom and discernment and compassion so that I could love like you love, so that my life could be used in a powerful way to save countless people from the eternal damnation and to bring them in to the, the, the glorious love of your kingdom where they could be builders of others and their lives could be transformed. Why is it we are so prone to ask for temporal riches while ignoring the eternal riches of God's kingdom. What answer was Jesus looking for when he asked a blind man, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, oh, restore my vision. And Jesus probably thought, that's it? 
What are you asking Jesus for? What do you say when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What would you answer? Please take away that leg pain. Please help me, help me get a job. Please help me get a spouse. That's it? That's it? What do you want me to do for you? Such requests reveal that we don't even know who we're talking to. Romans 8 would tell us those who set their mind on the things of the flesh, excuse me, those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Jesus is before you. He's asking, who do you say that I am? Oh, I believe you're God. You're God who became a man. You loved us to redeem it. Really? You believe that? What do you want me to do for you? May we be wise. And may we ask for significant things. Things of the kingdom. What if we asked, Lord, give me the ability to know your mind, to know your heart. Give me the ability to be a builder of my children. Give me the ability to be a disciple maker. Give me the ability to have eyes that have wisdom and discernment in all that they see. Give me the ability, Lord, to have compassion and love for others that you do. Give me the ability, Lord, to be a vessel in your hands. I believe it was D.L. Moody who said, the world is yet to see what, a man, what God will do with a man whose heart is fully committed to him. Most of us would be content. I'd like a pool. That's it. As we partake communion together, may we ponder these things. Uh, Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Uh, what if we asked, man? What if we asked? You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.